It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornchain. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornchain. I'm the senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs, and I'm thrilled that you're tuning in today. We have been in the theme of eschatology for the past several weeks. Last week, we talked about the tree of life. Now, if you missed that broadcast, you can listen to that and more at calvaryfountain.com. There you'll find a drop-down for audio and video links. And you can go back, listen to these once again, share them with your friends and family, get the word out. There's a lot of confusion on the subject of eschatology, the end of days. And so we've been studying, going back through a recap of our study of the book of Revelation. And this week and next, we're going to cover the tough subjects that really examine the kingdom of God, but also some of the familiar phrases of Scripture, such as Sheol, Hades, Paradise, Heaven, Hell, the Lake of Fire. We're going to look at both of those, uh, well, all of those subjects, but really these concepts over these next two weeks. So today, I really want us to put our eyes on the understanding, visualize, if you will, with me, the kingdom of God. And and this is a concept that is very elusive to us at times because what we see throughout Scripture are various ways in which God works. He, he has the universal kingdom and then this mediatorial kingdom that then moves into a millennial kingdom and culminates with an eternal kingdom. And with these concepts in mind, uh, we can sometimes get a little confused along the way. And so I want to give you some clarity. A couple weeks ago, we examined just in brief the millennial kingdom and the eternal kingdom. Again, if you missed that, you can go to calvaryfountain.com. If you're at all interested in eschatology, studying the book of Revelation and all 18 prophetic books of the Bible, you can reach out to us at calvaryfountain.com. This is our ministry, Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church's ministry. And we have a book uh, really that encapsulates a, a whole study of all 18 prophetic books. And it's called Revelation Unraveling the mysteries. Now, my heart today is a bit heavy. I'm going to be honest with you. It's been a bit of a heavy week. My brother-in-law went to be with the Lord at age 42, and that was hard for me to process through because we've really grown up together. Our adult years were all spent together. I I met him when I was 18 years of age, and uh, he married my wife's sister not long after my wife and I were married. And so we've all grown up together in our adult years, had our children together, and they've all grown up together. And, and uh, you know, I am recovering from a skiing accident. So I had 17 stitches in my face, and I still love skiing, not going to stop doing it. But here I'm engaged in these, uh, you know, very high-risk activities at times. My brother-in-law, on the other hand, was very safe in virtually everything he did. He avoided large groups, worked from home, lost 20 pounds, uh, doing everything that he was supposed to do on paper. And I hit a tree while skiing, and my wife is nursing me back to health, and I lived. The Lord chose for me to live. My brother-in-law, on the other hand, in good health, no signs of ailing physique at all, no, no, not even a cough. He walks into a restroom at age 42 and dies instantly, within seconds. And, and so when you examine something like that, it's very humbling. It's, it reveals the power switch that God has on all of us. And, and so my heart is a bit heavy for this subject of understanding the seriousness of what we're doing 
when we arise in the morning, when we put our feet to the ground and go out about our day, what is it all about? And when we have a better understanding of the kingdom of God and how he works in the affairs of men in this mediatorial kingdom, we'll have a greater respect for why we need to have intentionality for the salvation of the souls of men. This is a serious thing that we're doing. It's not about the appeasement or of our, of our vessel, of our creature comforts, of our desire to climb the ladder of some sort of success chain that, well, we have a bigger house than somebody else and more cars when we die or whatever that might look like for you. There is a victory at the other end of this that's only found in Jesus Christ. And so my heart is heavy that you understand this, this universal kingdom, the mediatorial kingdom, the millennial kingdom, and yes, even the eternal kingdom. And the only way that you'll ever see any of that is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You will never know the eternal kingdom if you are not found in Jesus Christ, if you have not confessed the name of Jesus. And someone who is a, a, a devoted, loyal servant of the Lord Jesus, who attends our church and is part of a number of ministries, especially our evangelism outreach, uh, she took the time to pen a poem for me this week that was very fitting in the subject that we have to cover here today. And, and her name, Benita Bynum, she sent me this poem. I'm going to read it to you, and I hope I do it justice because it was very fitting. It touched my heart deeply. Listen to these words. Today I call, do you perceive? Do you repent? Do you believe? I am the way, the truth, the life. With hearts of men, I will not strife. You have a choice. What will it be? Will you draw close or will you flee? Do you believe that I am he? And you can't run or hide from me with ears to hear and eyes to see, for I created all of thee. The moon, the stars, the sandy beach, all are within my mighty reach. The wind, the rain, the winter snow, yes, I project where it will blow. So you, O oh man, what do you think? It all could end in just one blink. The doors of heaven and to hell both hide within your broken shell. As you grumble and complain and take my crimson stain in vain, my pity, yes, it shall remain until that day that you're to blame. So listen now, it's not too late. Your time's not come to meet your fate. Here I stand, here at the gate. Heaven or hell, they both await. You see, this is why we need to understand the seriousness of our situation. A, a poem like that captures the heart of this, that when we arise in the morning, there is a life and death mission that is before us. Will we speak truth? Will we be the light that God has called us to be, or, or will we flee from it? Will we run from our assignment? Will we be the disobedient servant that doesn't make the most of today while you can still call it today? While, while there's breath in your veins, your body flowing through your lungs, are you... Are you going to use it for his glorious purposes or not? He has a purpose for you. It is time that we live it out. So let's examine just in brief with the time that we have here about the universal kingdom. And to understand that, what we need to think about here is that God rules over everything and everyone forever. He is sovereign. Everything that he has created, the full galaxies, all of it, is just a glimpse of his splendor. It's all a part of his handiwork. He made it all. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the beginning and end of all things. In Psalm 29.10, we read, The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord sits as king 
forever. Yes, even at the flood, when it seemed like all chaos was brewing up and the world is crashing down around the few that remained, the Lord was still on his throne. And he sits there forever. And that posture of sitting is a position of authority, that he is over all things. And he will not abdicate that authority to another. He will never vacate his throne. He is king eternal, according to First Chronicles 29.11. There is no time when he is not the king, and there is no time when someone else takes his place. He is the king forever. Psalm 103.19 tells us the Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. So he is not only the king forever, he is the king over everything. Listen to these words from Hebrews 1, 2-3, and 8 and 10. He says, His son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, plural, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Oh, what powerful words. And you may then think to yourself, well, if he's ruling over everything right now, what about the devil? Well, he's king over the devil. What about the demons? He's king over the demons, too. What about the unbelievers? He's king over them as well, according to Matthew 10, 28. That's why he has the power to cast them all out of his kingdom, and the only place for them to go is into purgatory, this place called hell, this condemnation that is forever, because his kingdom comprises all of the universe. And if you reject the Lord, where else can a man go? Where else can a defiant angel go, except for out of his presence forever, cast out into outer darkness? According to Matthew 25, 31 to 46, you see, hell is not run by Satan. Satan is punished in hell along with all the others, according to Revelation 20, verse 10. And God rules over all things and keeps all things together. Nothing in the spiritual world or the physical world exists without his permission or without his power. You say in Acts chapter 17, 28, we read, for in him we live and move and have our being. In Colossians 1, 16 to 17, we read, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And John 1, 3 then says, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. You see, the consistency of Scripture all points to this universal reality that God is king over all. He is sovereign over all. So the first perspective we need to have of the kingdom of God is that which gives us his universal rule over everything and everybody forever. Now, the next aspect of this, because the universal kingdom encompasses everything that was created in both physical and spiritual worlds, right? He, he creates anything, everything. Nothing is made that was made without him, right? He, he is the source of all creation. Now, within his creation, there's this little blue dot out in space that we call Earth. And on this place, he creates a mediatorial kingdom. Now, God then has delegated, equipped, empowered, and instructed then through various agencies and individuals, such as the church and the saints therein. 
And we get that from Matthew chapter 28, Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, as well as Colossians 1. So with this understanding, that is why the Lord instructed the disciples to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, they were to do God's will on this earth. He is mediated to them, to us all who are part of the body of Christ, this mystery of the body of Christ, now the church era, to do his work on this temporary kingdom. And all of the expanse of the universe that God made and spoke into existence in Genesis chapter 1, it is here on earth where the collection of rebels dwell. You see, when Satan was cast out of heaven, where was he thrown? He wasn't thrown to Jupiter or Saturn. Oh, no, he was thrown to the earth. He was cast to the earth. According to Revelation chapter 12, 7 to 17, Luke 10, Isaiah 14, and Ezekiel 28. Along with him came all those who also rebelled in their hearts against the Lord. One third of all of the angels rebelled and were cast to the earth as well, according to Revelation 12, verse 4. Again, they didn't go to the moon or Mars or any other place. They were cast here. And of course, here on earth is where mankind in the flesh of Adam dwells in vessels that are stained with sin, according to Psalm 51, verse 5, and Psalm 115, 16. So what we have to understand here is that so impure are we before a holy and perfect God that if we were to look on the face of God, we would die. And that's from Exodus 33, 20. Even the presence of God with Moses there at Mount Sinai, just from his presence at the peak of that mount, if you recall the story, the top of the mountain was scorched by the presence of God. Even the soil was imperfect enough to where even the holy presence of God left that mountain scathed. It was now scarred forever. In fact, that scorched earth is still there to this day symbolic of what occurred there at that time. I mean, powerful. That's how the earth responds to the presence of a holy God. That's how we would respond in these vessels stained with sin in the presence of a holy God. So with all of, within all of God's creation, this is everything that he has made within his universal kingdom, there is this blue dot called earth, and it is filled with sinners. From the beginning, when God created the world, he designed and ordered it to be ruled by men who were formed in his image. He appointed, established, and delegated leadership as part of his amajo dei. Here's what it says, Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God... He created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So to Adam and Eve, he said to them, Have dominion over the earth. They didn't earn it. They didn't deserve it. They were created by God and given responsibility by God to rule over all that he had created on this blue dot called earth, and they were to do so in obedience to God. They were only given one rule, one rule that they could not violate. According to Genesis chapter 2, 16 to 17, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. 
Now, of course, we know how that story plays out. They fell prey to Satan and sin corrupted all things. Even the ground was cursed. You see, Satan then became the prince of this world by de-elevating Adam and Eve to elevate himself, not realizing that he had enacted the very things that would bring about his own demise, because now he and all the rebellious angels with him and, and all of mankind would now come under the law, the law of sin and death. Therefore, there would be consequence for this thing called sin, now defined before the judge of all of heaven and earth. God could have destroyed it all. I mean, think about that. He could have just wiped it all out at this point because he was grieved that he had made man, according to Genesis 6-6, but God keeps his promises. You can look to that even to the Proto-Evangelium in Genesis 3-15. There was always a plan for the redemption of mankind. But Satan prowls about like a roaring lion seeking to devour, 1 Peter 5-8, but his time is short. And for us, then, we need to have the same mindset of understanding that this is a very short period of time, and there is kingdom work to be done. We may not have the presence of God before our eyes to see him, but he is active in the affairs of men, building his kingdom even in the now. So despite the failure of man, God still chooses to delegate and mediate his rule on the earth. He wants us, you and me, to make his word known, to teach his principles and moral standards, to give the gospel message, and to fill his kingdom with loyal subjects who answer the call and accept the royal invitation. You see, many are called, but few are chosen, according to Matthew twenty-two fourteen. So God mediated his rule through certain individuals, and now he calls on us his church to do as he has instructed. In doing so, we become like our groom, the one who's coming back for us, the one who's gone off to prepare a place for us, that we become like him. We serve like the king. We know the wounds of the king. We understand betrayal and heartache and hardships that draw us closer to him in relationship with him so that when we are finally yoked with him forever, we will love his ways. When all of it is said and done, the only things that remain on this earth in a new earth with new heavens and a new earth and a new city of Jerusalem, the only things that will occupy all of that space are those things which love the Lord. And so God mediated his rule to us for a certain period of time. Hebrews 1, 1 to 2 says, God, who at various times in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son. He has given us this clarity to understand his will and way. And God is mediating his rule on the earth through the believers who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are chosen agents of God to speak the word of God, to hold up the standards of God, and to bring men to God's will. The way and that he has taught us, we're to lead them accordingly and, and we're here with an assignment then. That means that we arise in the morning with a mission that's before us. And he tells us then that you're a royal priesthood. You're a chosen generation, a holy nation, a special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light in 1 Peter 2.9. You can also read 2 Corinthians 5 and Philippians 3 on that. So the mediatorial kingdom is God working through men who must contend with the fallen sin nature of other men while simultaneously doing battle with spiritual forces. 2 Corinthians 10, 1-6 and Ephesians 6, 10-20. 
And this also includes Satan and the demons. Okay, so this, this is a very serious thing that the Lord has appointed for us to do in a short period of time. We believe the mediatorial kingdom is no longer than 6,000 years. Contrary to all the evolutionists out there, I don't believe in an old earth. I believe in a young earth. And I believe that God who works outside of time, who created time, who is not subject to time, could have created it all one second if he had chosen to do so. He used six days for a reason, rested on the seventh for a reason, stamped it because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, with indicated that he was there at creation. He is doing the creating. He's the one holding it all together. All 37 trillion cells of your body, he holds together to do his mighty works through. He is sovereign over it all, and he has appointed you to be his change agent in the world that you would think and act like your king. So within this mediatorial kingdom, there's a period of time between the first and second coming of Jesus, known as the church age. It was formerly a mystery to those who had studied the Tanakh, the Torah. For those 1,400 years, they did not understand that the prophecies of Jesus, most of them broken up, some of them broken in parts, where Jesus read from Psalm six, excuse me, Isaiah 61, and he only read part of it because only part of it was fulfilled. They didn't see that he was coming twice. They thought he was coming to build his kingdom in the here and now when he arrived the first time. They didn't understand the mystery of the church age, a 2,000-year period of time to fill the kingdom of God with every tribe, tongue, and nation that would call on the name of the Lord Jesus. It was revealed then throughout the rest of the New Testament, especially Ephesians chapter 3. Matthew 13 becomes the linchpin of where that transition begins, where the Lord starts talking about this period of time that was formerly a mystery. And the mystery of this age is that Jew and Gentile alike would constitute a new body called the church, the body of Christ. We're all are united in it as one in Christ Jesus, according to Romans 12, Ephesians 5, and Galatians 3. So Jesus working through his church will fill his kingdom with so many people, no man can count the number of residents, according to Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 10. I love that section all gathered before the throne, praising Almighty God. And then after the rapture of the church, there will be a day in the very near future, I believe, in the tribulation, when God will anoint 144,000 witnesses, according to Revelation 7, 1 to 8, who will go out with that very special mission to fulfill the promise of God to restore the broken branches of Israel, as we read in Romans chapter 11. And then he'll send two very special witnesses to the earth once more, Revelation 11, 1 to 14, and they will prophesy. They will speak boldly in the name of the Lord, even do miraculous signs and wonders to give the gospel message that no man would be lost. That's the message of our Lord because he desires that all men be saved, according to 1 Timothy 2, 4. And, and that's his heart, that until the return of the king, that no person should go without the truth, that the message be given, that lives be saved. This is his mission for us, and he desires that we be intentional with it. It was always the plan of God to fill that kingdom with every tribe, tongue, nation, and yes, all the 12 tribes of Israel. You and I are part of that plan. And my, my urging you here today, brothers and sisters, if you have lost a loved one, I, I pray that they knew the Lord first and foremost. But if I, I hope in this that you have a sense of urgency, urgency that every breath in your body is a gift from God to go boldly for his namesake into a world that desperately needs the truth. They need you to be the light. 
Don't try to hide that light. Be bold for Jesus Christ. Let no one doubt that you proclaim the name of the Lord, that you are a Christian. Let all know, be unashamed of it. Let no one have any doubt. Well, I think he was a believer. Well, were there any fruits from his belief or her belief? Well, I don't know. Maybe let there be no doubt. Let it be bold and courageous to flow from your lips, from your actions, from your service, that you belong to Jesus and you're unashamed of it. Listen, I don't know if you've ever done anything radical, like maybe be a lifeguard or take lifeguard training. I did that years ago back in Texas. And I remember one thing where we were being trained to save lives. Uh, there's there's a, a situation that you have to come face to face with. And that is when you try to go out and save a life, when you're swimming out to save somebody from drowning, they may be in a great state of panic. And so when you swim out to save their life, they may cling onto you, pull you down, scrape and claw, and possibly kill you both in the process. But you don't give up. It, you're going to have to wrestle with them a little bit. Sometimes you might even have to pop them in the nose. Now, I'm not saying go pop somebody in the nose for Jesus, but in that case of trying to save a life, you may have to wound them a bit to save them. And, and vice versa, you may take some wounds as you're trying to save someone. And, and the same is true when we give the gospel message. Being bold for Jesus Christ, it may hurt a little bit. Somebody may say some mean things about you behind your back. You may be the odd black sheep in the family, right? Because you're that Christian and everybody else mocks you behind your back. Stay the course. Do not go go weary on me, giving up and, and somehow giving in to the, oh, I'm just going to take the easy path, the path of least resistance. Oh, no, stay the course, brothers and sisters. Fight for them, that they would know the truth and the truth would set them free. Their lives depend on it. Don't give up. The lifeguard doesn't give up. Don't you give up being the watchman on the wall. Go and tell the world around you about Jesus Christ. Be bold for him. Lives depend on it. And the master is coming back and he has expectations for his servants. What did you do with the talents I gave you? When the master comes back, may he find us faithful. And may we hear those words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I hope you've been encouraged today. Thank you to Benita for the wonderful poem. Thank you for all who are listening. I hope we're all convicted and stirred to action today. And if you missed any part of this broadcast, you can listen to it again at calvaryfountain.com. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship, Fountain Valley Church. We would love to worship with you. We have gatherings throughout the week, and we'd certainly love to see you on Sunday. We gather at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sunday. We hope to see you there. God bless you, my friends.